Welcome to Popcorn and Soda, starring Talal, a motion picture podcast, movies, pop culture, interviews, and reviews. Popcorn and Soda is brought to you by ByTalal.com. Visit at ByTalal and at Popcorn and Soda Podcast on Instagram. Download and stream on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on all your podcast listening platforms. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day today. My name is Talal, and you are listening to the Popcorn and Soda Podcast, the show where we discuss all things movies, pop culture, and so much more. I want to thank each and every one of you for making me a small part of your day. On today's show, we are joined by a very special guest. He is one of Hollywood's finest cinematographers. With projects shot such as Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha and Greta Gerwig's Academy Award-nominated Lady Bird, his next work can be seen at this year's virtual Sundance Film Festival for the film Mayday. On the show today, Mr. Sam Levy. How are you, Sam? I'm great, Talal. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you so much for coming to hang out on the show today. Before we really dive in, how have the last 12 months been for you? We're living in such a crazy world right now, especially being a creative artist. How have you been hanging in there? Wow. Uh... Thanks for asking. I'm trying to think. So yeah, as you mentioned, the newest uh, movie that I worked on, Mayday, premieres at the end of the month at Sundance. And we wrapped, I'm trying to think, we wrapped in December of 2019. So 12 months. Yeah. Uh, yes. We, we, we finished shooting. So it's pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. And the editing commenced, let's see. Yeah, I guess they got about three weeks of editing done before everything shut down and it moved to virtual. Um, but yeah, so the, you know, the last 12 months, you know, had we just gotten off, off Mayday. It was sort of re- recovering after a very uh, physical, arduous shoot. And then, you know, like the entire world, we sort of, he- we heard about COVID while we were working. And then the shutdown happened and the writer and director is my life partner. Her name's Karen Chinori. We're collaborators and we also live together. In addition to being the cinematographer, I'm also a producer on Mayday. So I'm more involved than I normally would be as just the cinematographer. And the editing was happening under my roof, um, you know, on on a program called Evercast, which has been really lifesaver for a lot of filmmakers. It's like Zoom, but a little bit better for editing. Man, so, you know, we were very fortunate just with our timing, you know, to be able to finish with plenty of room before the shutdown happened was just, we had nothing to do with us. We were just lucky. I have a lot of friends, I'm sure you know, or have talked to people too, who either had to shut down or who never even got started or are just having to redirect materials to support social distancing and things like, you know, to test and have provide PPE and, and quarantine people. We didn't have to deal with any of that. We just had to deal with moving post-production online. And so for Karen and her editor, Nick, um, you know, Karen was 
It's our, it's our first feature film. So getting everything up and running and cutting, it's kind of like we're talking to each other now was challenging, but not impossible. I mean, it was the, the, better than the alternative, just not doing it at all. And then, you know, where I came back in creatively uh, when we did the final color, you know, which is also referred to as the DI or digital intermediate, when we, you know, sit down with a colorist and go through scene by scene and make sure everything is set. So that, we're, we're very lucky we did get to do that in person with a very, strenuously worked out social distancing and testing regime um, with my colorist, Marcy Robinson, who works at a place called Goldcrest in New York. So on, on, you know, for one part of the last 12 months has been being deeply involved in right. post-production on a feature film, which was great. It was great to be able to keep that alive, particularly when there's just nothing being shot anywhere in the world. And when the full shutdown happened, and nothing was being shot. I still had a hand in in this feature film where I normally wouldn't be involved as a cinematographer. I, I could because it was being edited in our home and uh, and just as as a producer, I, I was just part of lots of different conversations about you know the scheduling and you know thinking about trying to you know su submitting to Sundance and and you know the kind of strategizing that goes into that sort of thing. And at the same time, um, you know, after, uh, after George Floyd passed in June and, and living in New York and the social justice movement and Black, Black Lives Matter, it was very powerful to be living in New York City at that moment and, and wonderful. It was wonderful, you know, the streets right. were really alive with, you know, protests and, and anger. And also it was, you know, I, you know, I won't lie. It was also a little scary. There's a lot of, uh, I don't want to call it vandalism, but just, you know, st storefronts being kicked in and yeah. And, you know, there were loud, uh, you know, fireworks every single night and helicopters, but it was great to be here. You know, it was great to, I don't know, in the midst of the pandemic, um, when we're all in our homes or, you know, can't, can't be with our friends. And, and in, in New York, that means you're in an apartment for most of us um, to be able to just, you know, you could go to your window or your fire escape and, and just see people marching or go down and, and participate as, as we did, um, make signs and, and go to Washington Square Park or to Brooklyn or and, and meet up with friends. And because it was all outside, we felt safe. And it's, you know, it's why it just felt great to be a, a part of, and, and, you know, with the outgoing administration, not to turn this into a political dis discussion, but it's, it's frustrating, you know, it's living, in, living in the United States and just living under our administration it's, it's just you we, we felt helpless for, fortunate to get to make the movie but you know at the end of the day it is just a movie and to be able to participate with, with you know with our fellow citizens and especially the young people who led the charge the really young people uh, it was a nice feeling
Again, as you mentioned, sometimes we're so wrapped up in our own worlds that we're these creative artists. We got to get this movie done, but there's a whole big world out there, and especially with all the social change that occurred this year, especially in a place like New York, sometimes it's very important to like you know sit back and just really take it all in because we're in a profession where we're so putting things out. And that's awesome. I'm I'm glad that you didn't lose your sanity <laughs> during this lockdown because it's tough. It's been tough for a lot of people, especially in the creative arts. Now, for the viewers listening in, Sam, how would yeah. you describe the role of a cinematographer? And in your own words, what is a cinematographer? I'll do my best. Let's see. I'll give an answer that's really based on my my own experience. I think it's fairly universal. The cinematographer, you know, it really depends on what kind of a project as far as what a cinematographer physically does day in and day out. But essentially, my job as a cinematographer is that I bear the responsibility for all all things photographic in in a movie or television commercial, documentary, TV program. But I'll stick to what I do most, which is make feature films. Um, So that means that I supervise a plethora of things. Notably, I'm responsible for picking the kind of camera that we'll use, the lenses that we'd use, for hiring a team, you know, a, a focus puller, a gaffer, a key grip, notably, if it's, if it's a digital production, a, a digital imaging technician, which is someone who helps supervise the quality of the digital image and, and downloads the cards. I would say the biggest responsibility as a cinematographer or a director of photography is in partnership with a director. My job is to help realize the vision of the director, but to bring my own point of view as concerns all things photographic. So if it's a narrative feature film, particularly if the text has been written by the director, which is almost all of the feature films I've worked on, uh, have been written by the director. All, all of the movies for Noah Baumbach, Lady Bird, written by Greta Gerwig, and this new film, Mayday, written by, written and directed by Karen Chinore. My job is to sort of get to the core of, of the material, of, of the script, and to, to find a path using photography and its elements, lighting and composition and, and movement and blocking, to use those tools to help best express the emotional core of the material. And at the end of the day, I, I do work for the director. The director, it is, it is a, a feature film is a director's medium. Right. If I have a strong opinion about say a frame or you know a color, a color of light, if in discussion with the director, the director disagrees and maybe we talk it through, ultimately I'll defer to the director. Maybe not right away, maybe I'll say like, well, just tell me why you just, or, you know, I think my rule of thumb is if I feel strongly about a, a color, about a decision and the director disagrees, I, I just, I want, I, I don't just leave it there right away. I'll just say, can you just tell me, can you just tell me why, or, or are you sure? And if they say, if they say no twice, and if they're emphatic, then it's like, well, yeah, let's just move on. There's so many elements that go into making a movie. You'll put your two cents in, yeah, for sure. No, because by the time, usually the first step as as a cinematographer on a feature film is to break down the material, to to break down the script into usually a shot list. Sometimes we storyboard or, you know, draw overhead diagrams for blocking. 
I try and get as much runway as possible before we begin shooting to have, you know, these creative conversations about the approach. So that by the time we're shooting, I kind of already know where the director's coming from and, and any disagreements are usually, or they're granular, like the job of the costume designer, you know, another part in answer to your question, as a cinematographer, I work very closely with the production designer, with the costume designer, and hopefully with the editor as well via the important role of the, the, the onset script supervisor, who's kind of the eyes and ears of the, for the editor on set. So in an ideal world, there will be synergy between all of us and, and to encourage a great collaborative foundation. And I, I think in the role as a, as a DP, the director of photography, that I have the ability to help really create that synergy. And I think, um, you know, over the years, I feel like I've learned how to, how to do that pretty well. And I, I think most of all, that, that is what shows up on screen. If, you, if there's kind of a unified vision for the, you know, the color palette, for uh, just the way that things look on camera and how we capture them, but all of that tied very directly to the emotional core of the material as by the director. So it's, it's my job to sort of get quickly to, let's talk about what, what the emotional core of this work is. And then let's talk about it with our collaborators. And that also includes the, the assistant director who, for, for those who don't know, is someone on set who really kind of runs the set and also makes the schedule, but is a creative partner, ideally. Ideally, it's someone who's a creative partner with good taste to also similarly shares the vision that we all have to, to make the material great. And is maybe a little more tied directly to the logistics of you know, the schedule and, and sort of um, you know, how many hours in a day we work. So my job really also is to have you know, the, the creative on, on one side have, have the creative involvement and, and, you know, sort of photographic reverie of, you know, light and motion and, and the art of cinematography. And on the other side, the logistics of, you know, the budget and the schedule and in partnership with the producers and the assistant director. And just to make sure that these both stay somewhat separate, though interconnected, so that they can both flourish. And because if you, you know, if, if you don't make your day, do all the work you're supposed to do in a day, or if you fall behind, which, you know, it does happen. But if, if you're not anticipating that in a thoughtful way, it does, it does affect the, the movie creatively. So it's really an art to having these two things coexist. And, and the key is, you know, if you have, a great team. And in the case of this new movie, I, I was one of the producers, so I could help, I could help sort of steer certain conversations in a certain direction, which was great. I, I don't normally participate in that way. And it's, you know, it added a lot more work for my part. So it was difficult, but long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but hey, you, you nailed every little aspect of it. So that's great. I'm sure the viewers love that. Now you have such a unique palette. And what I really appreciate about your work is you make the small moments feel big. 
where does this all start? Where does your love for movie begin? At what point did you know I wanted to be in the creative arts? First of all, thanks, Talal. That was a very, very kind way to put it. My story starts a little bit with, you know, growing up, I was kind of a theater kid, a theater geek, what also call it, like a theater nerd. I, I was in, and I was in elementary school and high school, I acted in a lot of plays, a, a total ham, and just really loved doing theater, uh, every, everything about it. I loved being part of a show. And, and at that time, especially in elementary school, I thought, oh, acting is the thing. That's, that's what I want to do. Thankfully, I had a great uh, theater teacher in high school who just said, please, please don't. <laughs> uh, just study something else. And then if, if you go to college and uh, still are interested, then, then, then do it. And uh, along, along the way, when I was in high school, I had a really dear friend who had a VHS video camera and was always you know, shooting things, which was just not very common at that time. And we would make these videos together where I, I would kind of be in his videos and, you know, do kind of um, satirical versions of old Charlie Chaplin movies or silent movies. And we, and we would shoot everything in sequence. And if we wanted there to be sound, we would you know, have a boom box and play music and that kind of thing. And it was so much fun and also a lot of work. And I think it, it, that, was my, that was my first exposure to some might say workaholism, but I would say... <laughs> My first exposure to working incredibly hard and having a lot of fun. And, and I really liked that feeling. And then I, when I went to college, I, I was a comparative literature student with emphasis on French poetry. But I took a film class at, at, at my college. I went to Brown University and I took a film class. So I was like a quasi film student. I wasn't like a, a proper film student. But yeah, like a flow major. But I was, I, I had the experience of studying film in school with a great teacher. And it was there that I discovered I really liked being behind the camera and filming, specifically filming. And that it, it was, I, I, it came a little easier to me than other aspects. And, and my teacher was very kind said, you know, you're, you're good at this. You're better than most of the other people in the class at, at filming and, and you, could, you could do it professionally which was the first time anyone had explained it to me that way. So it was, it was, I was very fortunate. My story is one of being very lucky at, at specific times. Um, she explained to me that she thought it was good and that I could do it. And that gave me confidence. And then suddenly I had an epiphany. Like, wow, there's movies and television all around us and people, people make it. You, you can do that. No one in my family worked in film. Well, my, my father, that's not true. My father was a violinist in the Boston Symphony and the Boston Pops, but, but, um, you know, he's, he was born in Israel and I'm first generation American. And he, it wasn't exactly what he didn't want anything like that for me. He, he wanted me to be, you know, like a proper American son, a doctor or yeah. a lawyer or engineer, yes. or something like that. He wanted me to be a, a nice Jewish boy, right. A doctor or a lawyer or something respectable. Um, around the time that uh, I was studying, this great documentary called Visions of Light came out, which is about the art of cinematography. It's, it's, uh, it's a classic. 
And that really piqued my interest specifically in cinematography. And, and soon thereafter, I got an internship at a company called Epoch Films. Um, the other intern was Patty Jenkins that summer. So we, we got to meet Patty and we became camera assistants around the same time. A little known fact, Patty Jenkins was a total badass camera assistant for, for a long time in New York before she moved to LA and AFI and, and became you know, a director. Anyways, after Visions of Light and this internship, I, I was on the path to becoming a camera assistant. Um, I worked primarily on uh, TV commercials and lived in New York. And that was how I met um, the great cinematographer, Harris Davidis, um, who's most well known for uh, maybe shooting films for Gus Van Sant and David Fincher and uh, the Yards for James Gray, which I got to work on. And luckily, Harris took a liking to me. We worked mostly on TV commercials and one movie, The Yards, which was a great experience where I was, I was sort of his apprentice on this movie, The Yards, which I highly recommend to your, to your audience. Um, it's a movie with uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg and Joaquin Phoenix, Charlize Theron, Faye Dunaway, Ellen Burstyn, James Kahn. And, 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 you know, Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin, and, and Charlize were all pretty young at that time. And, and people, they knew who Mark Wahlberg was from Boogie Nights and- um, Marky Mark but, and all that. But no one knew who Joaquin was, certainly. And no one knew who Charlize was at that time. And so that was a really interesting movie. It's a beautiful movie. And I took all of Harris's uh, light diagrams and he developed this technique, which now a lot of people use, which was the technique of when shooting 35 millimeter film to take digital photos on set and to use Photoshop to kind of pre-visualize the, the color timing. And that's what I did for Harris. I would take photos on set of you know, the actors when they were rehearsing. And then I would go download them to my laptop, Photoshop them and make a print on set. I would present it to Harris and he'd usually have me make a few adjustments. I got pretty good at anticipating how he wanted things to look. And then we would take those prints and send them to the film lab and they would use them to make 35 millimeter photochemical print dailies. And then Harris and I would go to the lab in the morning about three or four in the morning before call. We would watch the dailies, just he and I, to pre-watch pre them before we'd come back to the lab after shooting and watch them again with James Gray. And that was how I learned. I mean, that's, that's really my, that was my real film school was working with Harris and specifically on this movie, The Yards. It was how I learned what color timing was. Uh, also how, you know, what print lights are, you know, in the old photochemical system of printing. And when that was done, it gave me a lot of confidence that there was just a world, a universe of discovery in the art of cinematography. I had, going into that job, I knew I loved cinematography, but some part of me thought, is that really, now that I'm out of school and I'm here, is that really what I wanna do, you know? The path I wanna go down on. And then meeting Harris, I thought, oh God, it's, you could spend your whole life devoted to cinematography and practically just scratch the surface. There's so much there, combines so many things. So, and then after that, I, sort of put a reel together. I shot spec commercials, fake commercials. Um, and I, I kind of got a break shooting small TV commercials and music videos in New York in you know, the late nineties, early two thousands. And then I eventually stopped camera assisting and 
Uh, my first movie that I ever shot was a horror movie called Head Trauma. We shot it on mini DV. And just eventually it started to happen very slowly. It was my progression was very slow. And then eventually, um, you know, one of my first sort of real break in movies came when uh, Kelly Reichardt asked me to shoot Wendy and Lucy with uh, Michelle Williams. And that was great. And then eventually Noah Baumbach wanted to make Francis Ha. He, ca he called Harris Savitas to do it. Harris wasn't available and he suggested me and he, we, the three of us met together at Noah's apartment. Harris introduced me and that was how I met Noah and Greta. That, that day I met Noah and Greta at the same time. There you go. That's the story of how, how <laughs> Sam met Noah and Greta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome because you've had such a great career and a lot of it is, you know, your collaboration with Noah and Greta. But before we dive into that, let's dive into your next project, Mayday which is going to be debuting on a virtual Sundance Film Festival this year, which is definitely yes. out of the norm, but just with the times we're living in, we're glad that there is a Sundance Film Festival this year in the first place. So for all the viewers listening, I'm going to just yep. read out the synopsis of this movie. Mayday, the directorial debut of Karen Chinore, follows Anna, played by Grace Van Patten, through a dreamlike and dangerous land where she joins an army of girls engaged in a never-ending war along a rugged coastline. Though she finds strength in this exhilarating world, she comes to realize that she's not the killer they want her to be. It sounds awesome, man. It sounds really deep. And it's the sound of that synopsis, it sounds like a big epic. So as you mentioned, first time director, what was it like shooting with Karen? Again, now you have this added responsibility of being a producer on the movie. Does that take anything away from your role as a cinematographer or do you think it enhances it even more? Well, as I mentioned, Karen and I are life partners. We live together. We've worked together creatively for, for a long time. We're, we're longtime collaborators. So I was present when the idea came to her for May Day, and I, I helped develop the material, um, mainly you know, through our relationship, living together, working together. She batted the idea around with me a little bit. She wrote a treatment, eventually she wrote a draft and I, I got to read everything. And that was why, right. So it made sense for me to participate as a producer because at the beginning it was just she and I. So I was able to, you know, read all the various drafts and give notes and help, help her shape it before anyone ever read it. And then eventually, we teamed up with two very talented producers, uh, Lucas Joaquin, who is at a company called Secret Engine, and Jonah Decent, who is at a company called Complementary Colors. And so the four of us, myself, Karen, Jonah, and Lucas, are, are partners. We're producing partners on the project. Before we were with Lucas and Jonah, it, it was just Karen and I. I was, you know, Karen and I were just calling around saying like who will come make this with us or you know who might who 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 would help advocate for the project or you know how could we how can we do this and then eventually those guys joined and it was the four of us uh coordinating and figuring it out and then eventually we decided to film the entire project in croatia which is a fantastically beautiful place with a beautiful coastline and, and suits suits the project. There was a point at which the project wasn't confirmed, but 
I just said to Karen, like, let, let's just go over there. We, we've seen photos, we've talked to some people, let's just go. We met a, a wonderful Croatian producer, uh, Daniel Peck, who has a company called Anti-Talent. And he, Daniel and, and the location manager took us around the country to, to scout for, for a few days, which is a great way to get to visit a, a place. I'd actually been there, I shot a documentary in Croatian many years ago. But anyways, it, it eventually we committed to doing it in Croatia and, and the financing was secure, we're very fortunate. When we finally went back to Croatia to, to prep, I was able to step away from my role as a producer because I, I had to prepare uh, as, as a cinematographer and, and help, you know, uh, to help sort of figure out the locations and, and, and meet the crew over there. The, the crew is almost exclusively Croatian uh, and they're fantastic. So because we had partners, I was able to pretty much completely step away from my role as a producer because Lucas Joaquin was, was with us on set and Jonah came for a little while and was, was sort of handling some sort of bigger, bigger picture aspects while we were filming. And Karen and I could just be a director and DP at that point. What would you say was the biggest challenge of getting this film made and even the production of it? Again, it sounds like this big epic about this journey of this strong female character. What would you want the audience to know about the overall story and scope of this movie? Well, um, I'd say cr creatively speaking, Mayday is, it's a very innovative project. It's very an original, it's a very original material. And the challenge was just working on something that there's no, I wasn't familiar with any kind of narrative framework for something like this before. You, you, there's no like blueprints for you to kind of look off and just see, all right, they did this, they did that. Let's how, how can we entangle that into ours? It's very fresh and brand new. Yeah. It was, I mean, you, you read the synopsis. It is in many ways, it's an action movie. There's, you know, this fantastic, we have a fantastic cast. Um, Juliette Lewis, Mia Goth, Grace Van Patten, uh, Soko and Havana Rose Lou. And they play an army of girls and they, they're always, you know, they do a lot of, there's a lot of action where they, you know, they're riding motorcycles, they're swimming in the deep ocean. They're, you know, there's like hand-to-hand -hand combat on cliffs, explosions. Um, but it's also a very poetic text. I, I, that's how I say it's like if Andre Tarkovsky made an action movie. Um, and so the thing was, okay, there's a lot of physical things we need to figure out. Like, okay, they need to ride motorcycles through the woods. And we need to figure out how we can do that safely, but in a dynamic and fun, interesting cinematic sort of a way. And we need, we need explosions. We need like a great special effects team to help, you know, again, everyone has to be safe, but this has to be badass. And, and also it's not just an outright action movie. It's, you know, it's an artful, drama that has a lot of action in it. So in, in a lot of ways, you could look at things like, you know, The Matrix or Raiders of the Lost Ark, or, you know, it has, it has signifiers from those movies. And I think that's what makes it engaging and, and great, but, but it's, it, um, it also has its subtleties and, and poetry as well. I would say just like very technically speaking, uh, figuring out how to shoot 
an army of girls riding motorcycles through the woods. That was technically probably, it was the thing, it ended up, you know, we, it was kind of fun to figure out, but it, it was a process of, okay, how are we gonna do it? We want to, you know, the, the, the world of Mayday has, has a, it has its own logic. That was part of the challenge was it, it, it presents an alternate reality with its own rules. So that, yeah, the narrative and sort of logic was very specific, but also was up to us, particularly Karen, but it was up to us to determine, okay, what, what are the rules we have to abide by? The great thing about shooting Mayday, we were all able to stay in the same hotel in this oceanside town called Pula, which is in a region of Croatia called Istria. So we could we could all have dinner every night. There's a big hall with a, with a buffet, and we would we would go through we would go through the shot list for the next day. And every night, Karen and I would would eat with our script supervisor. Our editor was there. He was set up in a little suite, so he was assembling as we went. Our assistant director, our producer Lucas, sometimes Jonah, our other producer. Um, and then what was great was every all the tables. You know, there was like. Okay, the electricians were at one table. So if I had to give a note to my gaffer, the key grip, the grips were at another table, uh, the costume department, there was a massive uh, art department table. So these little things would pop up like, oh, you know, we just shifted the logic of something we're doing tomorrow. You know, it was seemingly small, but it was just, we could give everyone a heads up before they went to bed. And that was great. Oh, that's awesome. And, and it's so, I think your life just becomes so much easier when everyone's just under this one roof and just that team building and that unity. And it's just for communication, like you're already in another country where maybe English isn't the first language for everyone. And now you have this yeah. awesome opportunity to stay in this hotel. That's awesome. On the last subject of May Day, with the whole Sundance Film Festival being virtual this year, what are your thoughts on that? And overall, the submission process of it, did anything change or was it still business as usual? It's just now virtually. Many things are the same. And of course, I would say the biggest thing is we can't congregate together and have, have people in a cinema watching, which is, you know, it's bittersweet. It's wonderful. We can, it's wonderful. I, I'm really proud of Sundance for, pushing forward, especially Tabitha Jackson. It's her first, it's her first season uh, as, uh, as the head of Sundance and Kim Yutani and the entire board at Sundance. I'm very, I'm really proud that those guys just persisted. I think that's really important. So on the one hand, it's sad, particularly, I mean, I, I've been fortunate to go to Sundance a few times and see things premiere and look, we've got to have that experience. Unfortunately, Karen making our first movie doesn't get to have that, but so what? I mean, people are, We've lost so many people to COVID in the last year. In the U.S., it's 400,000. Um, I think the number is like 2 million people worldwide. I mean, so we can't get in a movie theater. Big deal. You know, it doesn't, who, who cares? Uh, we're lucky we got to wrap, you know, late December 2019 that we were, you know, we could get the production up and running, you know, remotely, uh, post-production remotely. And that... Sundance cares that you know that they want to persist. You know, there there's fewer movies in competition this year. There's we're one of ten. Usually there's seventeen. I think in some ways, for a movie like Mayday, to be fortunate to be selected but scaled down 
slate is maybe more attention is is gained. I'm not really, you know, I don't I don't really know for sure. That's I suspect. I don't think it's worse. I think the interesting thing is that people can't congregate to watch. We also couldn't congregate people to watch when we were editing. Normally, you would have a few fr- friends and family screenings in a room and people would tell you what they think. But if they're maybe embarrassed to say, you know what I don't like is this scene. You know, it can be hard for people to be forthcoming like that. But if you have 20 people in a room watching, you can see them. You can see where people laugh or you just feel the energy in the room. So we didn't have that. We screened for friends, but it was all, you know, sending a link over Frame.io or, you know, one of the, uh, one of those, you know, private streaming sites. It's like Vimeo. So you send to people and then they give you notes, but you can't be with them when they watch. So again, who cares? We're, we're alive and a lot of people are not, but it's interesting. It's just interesting how the normal process and workflow of making a feature film involves a lot of being in person, both when you shoot, but after as well. Yeah, and, and that's very interesting you bring that up because a lot of people just watch a movie at a movie theater or at home and they're just kind of like, all right, that's it. But the behind the scenes process of making the movie, pre-production, post-production, it takes hundreds of people and thousands of hours probably to get it all set together. Hopefully, you know, as the next year rolls in or the next year after that, we'll return to somewhat of a normal, but it's, it's hard to feel too sorry for ourselves because we still have our health hopefully you know we continue to all stay healthy and the cinema and the film industry can eventually when the time is right return to what the old norm was or maybe there may be a new norm who knows do you have any thoughts on what the future of film is going to be post-covid gosh it's hard to say i think i can only speak to my experience having shot a little bit um and being you know discussing you know an upcoming project and sort of just what it means to engage in physical production and stay safe in this moment where there's a vaccine but i don't know how it is in toronto where you are in, in new york it's like the hunger games here man like people you hear stories people who who uh, have healthcare who you know have have a little bit of money queuing up for five hours and then, you know, like getting a shot, a leftover shot in the arm in an alleyway that's left over and about to be thrown away. You know, it's like, it's wild. But so as far as congregating, you know, it feels like, you know, sensitively maybe even a year or two years will slowly trickle back to going to the, you know, in-person screenings and and cinemas and, and movie theaters. We've gotten so accustomed to being at home and streaming things and, you know, places like Netflix, Disney Plus, uh, just becoming yeah. even more, even more ubiquitous and pervasive. And, and, and they're, they're showing a lot of great stuff. And I'm great. I'm grateful for that. They, they support a lot of great filmmakers or it feels like, you know, there will be some who will just, they'll just go, they'll, they will go to, to the theater. I had a really interesting experience this summer, a really good friend of mine, his name's Hollis Memminger. He runs a not-for-profit called Bridge Builders. It's a program. He teaches young kids filmmaking. Don't normally have access, like those kind of kids. And this this past summer, the whole program went online and I was able to participate um, with a lot of other great filmmakers, mostly, mostly camera people, camera assistants, other DPs. 
So we had, you know, these online classes for three hours every, every day or Monday to Thursday, and we would talk and they would go out and shoot stuff on their phone. But the interesting thing was these particular kids who were talking about being cut off from movie theaters. And I asked them, like, tell me about this. Like, how is it affecting you? Are you bummed not to go to the theater? And, and they almost almost exclusively said, well, we normally don't really go anyways. First of all, that's for rich people. It has, it's a special, it's a special occasion. If we go, it's gotta be special because we have to save up and, and that kind of thing. And so there's that, there's the socioeconomic side of the reality that for a lot of people, they weren't going already because it's expensive. I see a once upon a time in Hollywood photo behind you, you know, like, I remember it was great. I, I loved, uh, I, I, the night I went and saw that movie in a theater and, and, got my popcorn and a soda, spent $30 or whatever it was. You know, not, not everyone can do that. Just, you know, I'm not a cultural critic, so I won't try to attempt to speak to teenagers who only watch TikTok or YouTube or whatever, <laughs> but it does seem like the pandemic and social distancing and lack of going to movie theaters underlines the fact that a lot of people already were not. So it's hard to predict. I'm not giving you a great answer, but I, luckily we're figuring out a way to try and work safely and it's very clunky. And you know, if someone tests positive, then you have to shut down and it, there's a domino effect to all the, and, and any, you know, your next job has to postpone and actor schedules is, it's very messy, but I admire that we're trying and persisting and several people, fr friends of mine have said, just we please keep making stuff. It's, it means a lot to be able to, to watch things. And I don't have an inflated sense of what making a movie is in terms of giving service to the world relative to, you know, frontline healthcare workers and things like that. But, it, but it's nice in sincerity when people say that kind of thing, maybe in a small way, it helps. No, for sure. I definitely agree with that. On the last topic of movies and cinematography, this is a question I've always been very curious about, especially as a viewer and your perspective as being someone behind the camera. When you're shooting actors like Saoirse Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, Timothy Chalamet, do you know you're watching something special or you're shooting something special? Or is it just business as usual and you're going along and then when you watch the dailies or the movie for the first time, is that when it takes you back or in the moment? Can you tell? Great question. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, there's a real human element to what you're asking, meaning, you know, there, there's times, on, you know, on Lady Bird, I mean, shooting Saoirse Ronan, like every moment is special. Yeah. Or, and any of those people you just mentioned, Laurie Metcalf is a genius, Timothy Chalamet, you know, one of the oh, biggest stars. Lucas in the Hedges, world. yeah, all these guys. Yeah. And Luke, that was an incredible cast. That was very special. Unfortunately, not everything is like that, but there's just a reality to sometimes, you know, we, we, uh, you know, there's a great scene where Saoirse and Timothy's characters kiss for the first time at night by, by a swimming pool. You know, the night we shot that, we must've worked till four in the morning and we were like rigging lights in a swimming pool and rigging the cameras like oh. in, in water <laughs> and building platforms. And I remember thinking the scene is going to be great. And I'm also worried that I might 
fall asleep at the camera and fall into this pool. I'm so tired. <laughs> There's just, especially if I'm operating the camera, which I, I was also the camera operator on Ladybird. You know, you have your eye to the eyepiece. And sometimes you're really in the moment. Like you're like, okay, I have to, she's going to get up. I have to tilt up and pan right. Okay, and he's going to come in. There's all these physical things to remember and you can't, you can't think too much. And that's can be really nice. It's really nice to be in that space. There are times where I don't, operate and maybe that physicality is slightly removed but there's still there's so many things you have to be paying attention to and simultaneously thinking like okay i need to be thinking about tomorrow we are going to need these three things and a week from tomorrow i have to remember you know you're always like pulling out your notebook <laughs> like there's so many things to keep track of and that is what i love sometimes something is so special it cuts through all of that and there's many times you know i've cried in the eyepiece you hear other camera people say that and and that's it's great it's great i appreciate the honesty in that answer because again when you're in the moment it's just so hard to get lost in the visual of cinema but that's i appreciate the honesty on that as we wrap up here with mr sam levy it is now time for a segment we like to call the final act mr levy 60 seconds 15 rapid fire questions about your likes, dislikes. If you go past the 60 seconds, all good. We're just gonna try <laughs> to get the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you up for the challenge? Let's do it. The final act. 60 seconds, 15 questions. Can you beat the clock? And your time starts now. Movies or TV shows? Movies. Theater or watch at home? Uh, theater. Last movie you watched at a theater? Oh gosh, I'm blanking. <laughs> oh my gosh, Tenet. Got it? Tenet, private screening, but it was a theater. Good stuff. What's one sequel better than the original? Oh my God. <laughs> Godfather <laughs> 2, maybe? Tied? Oh, that's a fair answer. That's a fair answer. How about this one? Best trilogy of all time. Whew. Best trilogy of all time. Top of my head has to be just a trilogy. Godfather 3. Should Hollywood reboot Back to the Future? Definitely not. Favorite horror movie? Halloween. Summer or fall? Fall. <laughs> Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yeah, why not? Who am I to say? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll leave that in there. I'm New York awesome gas. We'll leave that in there. <laughs> Breaking, Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones? Uh, God. Breaking Bad. Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter? Lord of the Rings. What do you prefer more, shooting on film or digital? Oh, man. Well, gun to my head, film. What's your favorite go-to camera to shoot on? Hmm. I would say the Arycam LT. There we go. And lastly, describe May Day in one word. Groundbreaking. Bam. Sam, you made it through the final act. <laughs> Maybe a bit over the 60 seconds, but you were honest. I appreciate that. That was fun. That was like that was like having an espresso. You gotta call me every morning. <laughs> Done. We'll get that, <laughs> we'll get that all set up. Sam, where can we find you online? I'm just only on Instagram, Sam Levy DP on Instagram. Sam Levy DP on Instagram. Sam. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you for your contribution in the creative arts. I am looking so forward to May Day. I'm wishing the entire team much love and much success. And hey, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Sam Levy. Thank you, Talal. This was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for new episodes streaming weekly. 
Follow the show at Popcorn and Soda Podcast on Instagram to keep up with movie news and behind-the-scenes exclusives. We'll see you next time at the movie. Ahem. On the show.